0: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at com. Welcome
1: to the family.
2: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify. <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome back to the Rock Jock Chalk Talk Podcast. As always, I'm I'm your host, Annie Mitz. I'm joined today by my co-host for for football, uh Mike Mike Plank. And once again, we're joined um by by the guys from Hawkjock.com, um Ryan Ryan and then also uh Fitz. So again, how are how are you guys doing tonight?
3: I'm doing good. good. Great.
1: Awesome. It's 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 great to have you guys back. Uh for those of you that didn't listen to our July uh episode the july 1st first episode we had these guys on at that point kind of explain a little bit about what their site is all about it's, it's another voice talking about kansas football mostly uh we always welcome having additional people that are willing to talk about kansas football um you know so we was, was definitely excited about having them on the first episode went went really well we just thought we, we had to go ahead and have them for another one um plenty of football things to talk about so we we asked them to go ahead and come back for another episode So we have them back. So, um, all right, guys, let's let's go ahead and jump in. First, before we get to the topics for the evening, um, there was actually something that had come out um, as as part of our 100-day countdown to football season that we were doing over on Rock Chalk Talk. um, Like right before we recorded the last episode, Mike had put one up, um, which I think probably has been one of the favorite ones so far of of the entire series, Um, comparing Shane Zinger to historical leaders uh, that – essentially were big failures in their position so um there was a bunch of different examples up there um if you guys have had a chance to kind of look over that a little bit um which ones do you think were kind of the most appropriate if, if you guys were were voting in that poll that we had um like asking which which one was best which which guy would you pick is probably the best parallel for 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 Zanger.
4: Uh, just by taking a, a glance at it, I, I think, uh, you know, I would probably go Ronald Reagan. I mean, that would be probably my vote.
1: Yeah. I thought that was uh, an interesting yeah. comparison, but, um, <laughs> yeah. the more I think about it, the more I think it kind of fits. And, and it was weird because as, as I was reading through some of these, um, you know, I was like, well, that is kind of a stretch, but the more I thought about it, the more it's like, well, no, I mean, if you're focusing on that one aspect of what Zinger did, then yeah, it's a, it's a perfect parallel. So, um, but yeah. Yeah, so so that's the one that you would pick. Um Okay. What what other ones do we have here? So, so And and for those of you guys that either haven't read the article or it's been a while, um the ones that were listed were Nicholas II, the yeah. Russian Tsar, uh Wilhelm II, the the German Emperor, Dan Snyder, the president or the owner of the Washington Redskins, um Julius Caesar, the the Roman Emperor. Neville Chamberlain, the British Prime Minister, uh, right, right before World War II. Ronald Reagan, um, president in the 80s. Chris, Christopher Columbus. Uh, we all know who, who that is, obviously. And then the last one was Benedict Arnold. Um, so that, that's the full list of them. So we already have one, one vote for Ronald Reagan. Uh, what, what are the rest of your guys' thoughts? Um, I,
3: I Skimming through this, too. Uh, the one thing that I saw here was, uh, was Christopher Columbus. Uh, where he thought he had arrived at his intended destination. And the only thing that, that, that go, that, that gets in my head is that whenever, uh, Zanger said that they went out to find the best football yeah. coach and, and that's what they yeah. did with Charlie, Charlie Weiss. And that's, that's the one that stuck out to me. So I, just skimming it, I, I didn't, I, I hadn't, I, I didn't get real in depth, uh, with all of it because I don't know about, Every single one of them, I didn't go through and read uh, uh, on, you know, more about them other than the two paragraphs I think in, in each one. Right, but that's that's the one thing that just that sticks out to me.
1: Yeah, and, and my, as, I'm as,
0: as the author, good. yeah, as the author of the piece, um, I, I vote for uh, after some serious deliberation. I originally thought I was going to go with Benedict Arnold, and then I thought I was going to go with Neville Chamberlain, but my final answer is Christopher Columbus. He thought he knew where he was going. He thought he knew how to get there, and he he didn't.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I I mean, as I was reading through it, because I I took a look at it before it published. And I was you know kind of making sure them all they all made sense and everything. But uh, I, I kind of had arguments for each of them when the when the poll came out. My immediate thought was uh, Dan Snyder, um, you know, just. Kind of taking a middling program and you know not really able to hold on to a head coach and having all kinds of problems with it. Um, but fi- I think I finally settled on Nicholas II. I think is probably the, the most apt corollary. I think um, you know I mean he he took over a struggling Russian Empire um, and essentially just made it worse. Um, you know so I mean can't football it was struggling when Zanger took over um, having to deal with Turner Gill and he had two coaching hires to try to make it better and you know he was super confident coming in and just made it a whole lot worse so you know i i think that that's probably the most apt in terms of the overall package but you can definitely find individual aspects of it um you know i think a close second for me would probably be columbus so um but yeah all right so that that was our little fun up at the top of the episode um Let's let's go ahead and move on to the to the main topics that we do have. In the last episode, we had, we actually spent the last the last portion of that episode talking about David Beatty and kind of the disappointment that we had and the the high expectations that he set for last year. Um, but so I, I do want to jump back to to Coach Beatty. One of the topics that uh, Jay Winmore had, had had given us to talk about, and and unfortunately he wasn't able to join us to talk about this as well, but um, was talking about David Beatty. Um, and kind of looking forward to what we can expect from him or what we can expect it will take to get him out of here. So I'll ask you guys, is this David Beatty's last year in Lawrence? And if it's not, how many wins will it take or what will need to happen on the field for him to keep his job?
0: Wait, 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 wait. What can we expect out of David Beatty? Was that the first question?
1: Well, that that was my own kind of summarizing of what we're going to be talking about. But yeah, oh, okay. Because I mean, you clearly the answer, the answer is clearly nothing. the
0: answer is more bubble screens, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, bubble screens, bubble screens.
1: <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so so the the main question is, you know. Is this his last year? I think most of us would probably say yes, but if we assume that it is not his last year, then what will have had to have happened during the year for him to actually keep his job?
3: I think, I think it's his last year. Uh, Fitz and I have a little bit of disagreement on the, on the, on the wins part. Uh, I feel, I feel like that if he had four wins, that, that it would probably save his job because it would show that he, he did finally make an improvement it could be more um but that's where it's at with me and that's you know that's going to be two non-conference wins and two conference wins uh, hopefully one of those non-conference wins finally being a road win you
1: uh, don't, but you don't think <laughs> they can win them all in the non-conference?
3: I I don't no I don't I don't I I I don't even think that they can win two of them uh but but
1: I mean I think if they uh, get the four wins that they probably win I mean, at least two of the non-conference, and more likely that they have to win all three. But
3: I, I would agree. I would agree. I would agree with that. Uh, but I, that's why I say four wins. Uh, but he's—I think he needs four wins. And 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 what I need to see from him is is, is some discipline in the team, uh, some some competence uh, th- that some of, that we have failed to see through the first three years. And, and, and the way he's coached. Uh but that the competence and the and the discipline go go together. He you know you can just how the how they the, the massive amount of penalties that I feel like we we constantly have uh is is due to lack of discipline even though it's discipline's one thing that he has he at least talked about his first couple of years. Uh but I we've got to see that we've got to see less we've got to. we've got to stop beating ourselves i mean we get we get beat bad enough by everybody else we need to stop beating ourselves as well so maybe you know we can sneak out a a a win maybe two that that maybe we weren't supposed to win just by being just by finding some discipline uh and and penalties and or lack of penalties hopefully uh but but four wins is is what i'm looking for I would be happy with four wins. Uh, at least I get to enjoy a win, uh, hopefully at that point, uh, a, a couple wins at home,
1: <laughs>
3: and and we can actually enjoy enjoy being at the game.
1: So real real quick, before I get to the other guys, um, you said that, that four wins would be enough, but I, I want you to think about this real quick. What if they win the first four games, um, so those first three non-conference, and then they win at Baylor? barely squeaking that out, and then every other game they get blown out by at least three touchdowns for the rest of the year. Would you be happy with those four wins? And do you think that would be enough for him to keep his job?
3: I, You know, I, no. Probably not. Okay, okay. I pro- probably not, no. I would, you know...
1: So, right. So, yep. I, I, I agree. I think, I think that it's hard to put a number of wins that he needs because I think a lot of that is going to depend on how they perform in the other games as well. And, you know... <clears throat> the timing of the wins as well. So say, for example, they win two non-conference games and then, you know, they pull off a huge upset against either Oklahoma state or TCU at home. And then, you know, they, they sneak a win out either at K state or versus Texas. Like, I think those four wins look a lot different than what I was talking about there, winning the first four games by a small margin and then getting absolutely creamed the last eight.
3: Yeah, I agree. And that's kind of where I, I went in uh, with that discipline and, and some competence and and, and play calling, uh, and and just doing doing what you need to do, you know. If we now if we won the first four games, uh, and and we were competitive in three quarters of the next, you know, the rest of our games, that's a different story. But if we go and you know, if we go, I, like, I completely
0: agree with that. He, yeah, that's that's a different story. That's that's correct. Yeah,
3: just, yeah definitely. Just show show that we can compete with teams in the Big 12. So if we you know if we win the first 3 games and and then uh you know by by a good margin maybe even the last two games by two or three touchdowns combined or or not combined uh um uh, average uh, and then we go and we compete with the rest the rest uh, of the league I don't think people are going to be as mad. I think people are still going to be calling for his head. And probably me as well, and I'm sure that you three will, will be with me. Uh, but I don't think we will be as mad as if we go and we win our first three games or maybe our first two games by, uh, an average of two touchdowns and then go into Rutgers and get creamed or go into Baylor and get creamed or, or, you know, that it, it just, it just, it just depends on how we get beat. A, a lot of it. I, I, we're obviously going to lose more than what we win, but we've got to make those games that we that we lose not look so bad and not be on Sports Center's not top ten, uh, you know, half the time. So that, it just it just depends on on what happens. But if we can go in, we can be competitive. We can be disciplined. Uh, you know, Beatty shows that he is an improved coach. Uh, that he that he can. That he can change things up, and he's not stubborn. That he can go in and, and play to our personnel, uh, like Fitz said on in our July podcast, that he that maybe that people won't won't call for his his head quite as quite as quickly or quite as bad uh, as what they could.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, kind kind of a weird metric to kind of look at it by. But I, I just got to thinking, if sometime, or I'm sorry, if after the non-conference season, Kansas finds itself outside of ESPN's bottom 10 ranking, um, even as like an honorable mention, um, I think that, that Beatty probably has a, has a decent chance of keeping his job. And I think I would be okay with that because you got to remember that being in the bottom 10 essentially means that you're either, um, you know, a, a power five school that is doing extremely poorly um, like even worse than normal expectations. And that usually lands you in the number five spot, or you are one of probably the worst 15 teams in, in all of college football. Um, so if they can stay out of that mention, that means that they're probably not as bad as, you know, people were thinking that they were going to be coming into the season, which by definition is going to be an improvement because everybody thinks, you know, that they're going to be absolutely hor- hor- horrible this year. Um <laughs> You know, so I mean really, yeah, what it comes down to, I think, is, you know, if they show that that kind of improvement that you were talking about, I think that the athletic director could make a reasonable case for keeping Beatty for another year that most um I guess, you know, I guess I would say fans that are at least paying halfway attention, um, can can stomach. I don't think anybody would necessarily like it. I think a lot of people are ready to move on, including myself. But if he gets that kind of improvement you know i think there is enough history to to say that it's reasonable to think if he can make those kind of strides this year that he could potentially make additional strides after that especially given the fact that he has no head coaching experience before this job you know like there there is an argument that you could make that if he shows he can start developing those skills now that another year or two he could further develop those skills and maybe eventually turn the program around if we have absolutely no progress this year then I don't think there's any way you can make that argument. But if he shows at least a minimal amount of progress that we can, you know, say that there is a reason to hope for the future, I think an athletic director that isn't, you know, hell bent on getting his own guy in there and is okay letting Beatty stay, could could get that to the fan could sell that to the fans and at least enough of them would be okay with it that it wouldn't hurt the program long term. Unless of course the bottom falls out again. Um, you know, and like it would be a one year aberration. But um, you know, obviously, I don't think that's actually going to happen, getting that kind of improvement. I don't think any of you guys think that's actually going to happen. But that's like, you know, since we are talking about talking about the hypotheticals of what it will take for him to keep his job, like I think that's the bare minimum of what we would have to see. We would have to see, I think, at least two or three wins at, um, with a bunch of competitive games that show that he actually is starting to get it, is starting to be able to put those skills together to be successful in future years. I don't think we have to have the four or five you know, wins to get close to the bowl eligibility or even that. Um, but I don't think we're actually going to see it, but I, I don't think it's going to take quite as much as a lot of other people think it would take.
4: Yeah. And I'm uh, a little bit less generous than I think what you guys, <laughs> you guys said, but I think this is where, you know, me and Ryan were talking earlier and uh, we had a bit of a disagreement, but um, I put it at six wins for him to, for baby to keep his, to keep his job. Um, I know it's a lot, and I know it's at this point pretty much impossible uh, for that to happen. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, if Zinger would it still be around, I would agree with four four wins. Um, but since we have a new AD coming in, a lot of times those guys want their own guy, you know, uh, to to take over the program. Um, and also, you know, this, this new AD coming in isn't going to have a lot to go on with Beatty other than the fact that he's three and 33 in three years, you know, so he's not going to have a ton of experience working with Beatty and, um, you know, what he's done through the program and whether he sees potential in him or not. So I think that's kind of why I bumped it up a little more to the fixed wins as well, because it's going to be harder. You know, I mean, Beatty's fighting for his job, you know, and it's almost like he's already pretty much fired at this point. Um, but you know, it's, he gets four wins. Uh, and again, like you guys said, he competes in every single game. You know, they, they don't lose by more than, you know, a couple of touchdowns all the games. Um, you know, we're actually seeing all our stats, you know, offensive stats, defensive stats, uh, instead of in the, you know, bottom, you know, in the 120s or so, hundreds, uh, you know, they're in the, you know, 60s and 70s, uh, you know, as far as ranking, you know, I think, uh, he could make a case, you know, to maybe come back next year, Um, you know, because honestly we're not going to lose a lot of guys after this year either. So if he does, you know, start to compete and get some wins next year, could be that year, you know, but again, I can't say that I'm optimistic that's going to happen. So
3: we'll see.
1: Mike, I would
3: definitely, I would definitely agree with it. I, I mean, I agree with it, not taking back on my word, uh, oh, about the yeah. four wins, but but I I do agree. I mean I think I think the difference the Zinger being here and Zinger's not and Zinger not I think that definitely plays a little bit different different part in it than than if he was here.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think they pretty much covered it. It's it's it's. I originally thought it was bowl game or bust, but I mean if he manages to win three or four games. And only has one or two blowouts, you know, Oklahoma, maybe Texas, uh, you know, teams like that. And then the rest of them are within 10 to 20 point margins. I mean, we can't be losing by 40 points to Iowa State anymore. That's just, it's not acceptable. Um, you know, and, and so I think, I think we've pretty much covered it, you know, uh, three or four wins and competitive in most every game or a bowl game. I think those are his two options.
1: Yeah, the the one thing that I will kind of note here, though, you were saying that we're not going to lose very much after this year. Um, I, I think I have to kind of take a little bit of an issue with that. We're going to be losing um, Bobby Herzog, um, wide receiver. We're going to be losing Steven Sims, Jr. Ooh. So Her- Herzog, I believe, was like our third best receiver last year. He's expected. Yeah. I think he's expected to kind of be a decent receiver this year. Um I mean he, he's not the the big loss from the wide receiver core but Stevenson Jr is the, is a senior this year it's his last year you know depending on what you think about Peyton Bender uh, it's going to be his his last year um let's see then we also have Joe Denine we're losing we've got a, quite a few of our of our secondary guys that we're losing as well um let's see Emmanuel Moore, Tyrone Miller, uh two safeties there. We're losing Taylor Martin he, he, he's a senior this year. Um, and then over on the defensive, the defensive side, we're losing a few as well. We're losing Joe Dineen, obviously. Um, like, like I already said, we lose Daniel Wise. Um, so I mean, we're going to be losing quite a bit this year and it's going to depend on, you know, how well we can bring, um, develop some of these other guys. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely a chance, even if he gets improvement, this year that the next year it could drop off just based off what we have from these recruiting classes. I mean, and and then you got to think too, that most of the guys that we're bringing in that we're expecting to kind of um, pick up the slack this year and hopefully next year, a lot of those guys are are junior college guys. And so then they're going to be gone, you know, so we'll be losing a lot probably the year after that, assuming that there was, you know, actually something there to be losing um, in terms of guys actually performing to that level. So, you know, just because he has, a good year this year, you know, operating under the assumption that he doesn't have to keep his job just because he has a good year this year doesn't mean that the next year is going to be any good or, or better at all. Just because there are a lot of guys that are leaving. Um, You know, we're losing a few offensive linemen. Um, You know, I mean, we're just, there's a lot of guys that are leaving. We're going to have to replace a lot of bodies on the team with guys that are big 12 caliber players and i'm just not sure that we're going to be able to do that unless there's a big improvement that can lead to a huge offense i'm sorry a huge re- recruiting class this next cycle so um yeah there, there's no guarantee even if he does well this year to keep his job that that's going to turn into any kind of long-term success i do think it's more most likely that the ad you know unless unless he is able to to get to a bowl game um personally i think it's going to be really easy for the ad to make the case to move on Um, you know, and, and I think a lot of that too also depends on like, what does the new AD see as the timetable for turning the, the the program around? I want a guy in the AD chair that thinks that we can go ahead and move this program in a year or two and get back to respectable. Like that's the kind of guy that I want, but if we don't get a guy that thinks that that's possible, then maybe he keeps Beatty around because of incremental improvements. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it kind of depends on the philosophy that we see out of the new AD, um, you know, how long it takes for him to get everything established the way he wants, and finally feel comfortable making that decision for the long-term future. So, all right. Um, so, any any other thoughts about that about David Beatty? What what to expect from him this year? Um, whether we think he's going to make it till next year or anything like that?
3: I hey, think you covered it on my on my end.
1: All right. So the other the other part of this topic was, and I think it's a pretty simple uh, that the answer is no to this. But you know, um, I, I don't think any of us really think that David Beatty was the right hire in 2015. Um, obviously, having um, you know hind, hindsight to to really inform that decision. But may, may I'll, I'll kind of tweak this a little bit. Back in 2015, um, do you think like? If we're going back to that time frame, was he the right kind of hire for us to have? And I know Mike and I already talked about this, about how there was a lot of flags, a lot of question marks about that. And that it was easy to make the case that he was not the right hire back then, even when we made the hire. Um, personally, over at Rock Talk Talk, we were really, really hoping um, for a guy like Ed Warner. Um, actually, I believe at one point we had we had uh, a few sources that were pretty close to the program that said it looked like Ed Warner was going to be the hire until it came to, and I believe the quote was, um, that Zenger said that Bowen had to be kept on staff as defensive coordinator and when Warner wouldn't do that, he moved on to someone like Baby. So, um, you know, even whether you take any stock in that or not, you guys specifically, um, Ryan and Fitz, would you guys, um, like, did you guys think he was the right kind of hire for us back in 2015?
3: I don't know if he... Hindsight's always was twenty twenty. Right, I think right. <laughs> I think that uh, it felt good then because he was he is such a positive guy, and we went from wise that was pretty negative. Uh, you know he would you know would tell us that it's the worst team that would he put on the field things like that. Like so, it felt good that to have a positive guy and have somebody really amp up the program. But that doesn't I. <clears throat> I didn't know enough about him in 2015 to really ever even make a decision on, on what I what I thought. I kind of went, I kind of went on what he said, uh, baby. That is, uh, I, I went on what he said, and it probably wasn't the right thing to do then. Uh, but you know, he, he, he was so positive that it was hard not to not to think that he was. But like I said, hindsight's 2020. Obviously, he was. He was. He, he hasn't been the right guy, and he he hasn't shown uh, what what he was incapable of doing. And I don't. I, sometimes I don't know if we we realize how how deep in it we we were uh, uh, back then until he got hired, and some of the numbers really came out of how how bad our scholarship numbers and things like that were, were back then, but it's hard to really say, say too much. Then it was so long ago. I mean, it's three years ago, so it's hard or two and a half years ago. I, I don't remember exactly how I felt. I, I, after hearing him talk once, he kind of got pumped up, but that's, that's really, about, really about all I remember uh, of him being hired back then. <laughs>
0: Hey guys, let me interrupt you real quick here. Uh I just want to note, um, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but uh the University of Kansas just in the I well maybe just the athletic department and whole, uh the football side especially, uh has a history of overreacting to coaching changes. So uh I don't remember who the guy was before uh Glenn Mason, but we went from well if we started Glenn Mason, hard ass to Terry Allen, nice guy. To Mark Mangino, hard ass. To Turner Gill, nice guy. To Charlie Weiss, hard ass. To now David Beatty, nice guy. Like, it's just, it's always been a complete 180 on coaches, and I don't know why that is, and it's just always kind of struck me as, as weird. Uh, because it's, it's obviously not working, kind of like we talked about last month. There's, there's been, High points, there's been good seasons, but there's never been any consistency.
4: Yeah, I wonder if that has something to do with the donors. Um, you know, if they have so much say in who gets hired, and maybe they are they could potentially be the ones that overreact a bit, and then, you know, whoever's in the position to hire the next coach just kind of takes that a little bit too much to heart. Um, you know, maybe we need a, an AD that's a hard-ass. Like Ryan said, uh, I think in the previous episode, um in june or i'm sorry july um that uh you know we need an ad that, that they can make the tough decisions you know obviously you don't want to make the donors upset um but at the same time you know you need to make the make the right decision for the for the university you know because again that's you know you're missing out on money so if you hire the wrong guy again that's more money you're just throwing down the drain but
1: Although, be it. although it's kind of funny because if if you think about it, now I my my recollection of Al Bull as a uh, as as an A D may be a little skewed, but if I remember he kind of fits into that, that more nice guy kind of role. Um correct me if I'm wrong there real quick, guys. Do you guys really remember that too much or Mike's Mike specifically?
0: Uh I wasn't as involved back then. Uh yeah, you know, like right. <laughs> Which which is and I think the A D before Bull was Bob Frederick and wasn't he there for like twenty years or something? Like he hired Roy Williams, I think, and and probably a bunch of other football coaches. I think the guy before Al Bull was there forever. And um and, and he was real popular with the donors, which is probably why he kept his job for that long. Right. Uh but uh but yeah, Al Bull somehow crossed Roy Williams, <laughs> which I think it's kinda hard to do. Maybe it's not, I don't know. Um, but, uh, I-, I couldn't tell you if he was a hard ass or a nice guy or, so, or something in between. I mean, he did bring a smart Mangino. So, yeah,
1: so, so the, the impression that I got from everything I've read and like the vague things that I do kind of remember was that Albo kind of fit into that nice guy kind of, kind of realm. And we talked about a lot, a lot about Zinger, um, in the last episode, you know, talking about how he was kind of like the nice guy and that may have been part of his downfall. Um, But, you know, Lou Lou Perkins sandwiched right in between, I think the best way to describe him was, you know, a a no-nonsense, hard-ass businessman. Um, So we've kind of had that same pattern with the ADs as well, where we have one who's really on one end of the spectrum and then go back to the other side. And then, uh, you know, so so if we hire another AD that's kind of in that hard-ass type role, um, we're, we're doing the same sort of thing, I think, with our athletic directors too, maybe overreacting and looking for specific traits to counteract what we think is the main problem with the prior one. so um,
0: is, is Lou Perkins the one who upset the apple cart when he rearranged all the seating in Allen Fieldhouse and made a bunch of donors mad or did Al Bull start that? Uh,
1: I believe that was a Lou Perkins initiative. I, 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 I
0: think know. it was too. Yeah, I think it was.
1: But, you know, the other thing too, Lou Perkins, you know, the, the private jet all over the place all the time, um, you know, talking about how, you know, the... I mean, he he clashed a lot with Mark Mangino because I think they were very similar in terms of they were no nonsense. They wanted to be the main guy in charge, um, which, you know, doesn't really work when you have two guys, you know, that are both that same way, butting heads over probably the biggest moneymaker in the entire athletic department or what should be the biggest moneymaker in the, in, in the entire athletic department in the football team. So, um, but, you know, obviously Lou, Lou Perkins got into a lot of trouble because he was getting a, lot, a bunch of personal items on the dime of, of uh, the school or donors or things like that. So that caused a lot of problems for him. I remember something about a bunch of gym equipment that he picked up that ended up being his downfall, if I remember correctly. But, you know, he had the same kind of, he made a lot of decisions like business decisions that didn't rub a lot of people the right way. Um, And so, I mean, he, he definitely had that kind of hard ass persona at least. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it it seems like we're doing the same sort of thing with our athletic directors too. I would hate to see us kind of overreact, especially since that would mean that in both cases we're gonna be having those sorts of things now it may it may end up being somewhat successful like it was with the for a while but uh you know I just I'm not sure that it's probably the best thing to to have that happen with our with our athletic directors as well so um but yeah that that kind of would jump jumped out to me when you guys were talking about that pattern of coaches um but all right, any of, so any other thoughts about whether he was the right hire? And, and you know, I mean, I, I don't think any of us are really qualified to say or had enough connections to really know if he was the best hire, but, you know, if if, if you could go back and, and make that decision again, who is it that you would hire back in 2015? Um, whether you want to use the hindsight of how they've done at their respective schools, I mean, I'm not naive enough to think that, you know, a guy like uh, Doran over at NC State would be able to replicate what he did there at Kansas. But you know, I, I mean, I, I personally think that he would probably would be would have us in a better position that we're in now. But it was was there a guy that kind of jumped out to you back then that you really wanted to be hired that that may have been attainable for us back then?
4: I would honestly say I've always been big on you know Doran. Um, he's a Kansas guy, you know. So if he did get the job. I think he would stick around for a while. He has coaching experience. He's been a head coach. He's been successful at a smaller school. I think it was Northern I, or, um, Illinois. Um, you know, so, you know, he's had success. He's a guy that would probably stick around if he was successful at KU. Um, and he's, I don't think he really falls in the, the too nice of a guy or, you know, the hard ass type of coach. Um, I think he's kind of an even keeled, he's just a football coach, you know, so I don't really get that vibe from him that he's, you know, if they're too nice or, or too tough. Um, But that's, I kind of, you know, I think that's the guy that I, I would have definitely went after. And also if if I remember right, um, I think it was when Weiss was hired. I think Doran, I mean, he was, he really wanted the job. And I think he, he went to Zinger from what I heard anyway, I, I can't, um, say this actually happened, but it's what I heard. But he was really lobbying lobbying for the KU job, um, and I guess Zinger didn't like the fact that he was, you know, so adamant about it, and he wanted the guy that if he could sell the job to, I don't know. Um,
0: <laughs> so he went with
4: Charlie Weiss. I don't know. That's kind of what I oh, heard. I gosh. don't know if it's true. Yeah.
1: That that yeah. man that um. <laughs> You know, you would think, well, you know, and, and, and maybe when, when Weiss was being hired, maybe he didn't quite have the pedigree. Um, and so, you know, it could have been you're thinking of, well, this guy obviously wants this job because it's a huge step up from where he's been, at least, you know, the the optics of it. Like, maybe I can make that argument at that point. But when you're, you know, when we're talking about the, the Beatty hire, at that point, a guy who's been semi-successful like Dorn. Um, if he shows interest in your job, you know, I, I have to think he would be higher on the list than a guy who has absolutely no head coaching experience, um, who really the only main asset he had going for him. And I think it's fair to say the only real thing that David Beatty had going for him when he was hired to be the head coach is that, you know, he was supposed to have a bunch of recruiting ties down in Texas. And that's what we were expecting to be getting most of our talent from in the future. Um, it's just weird that we haven't been able to get the high school talent down in Texas, you know, when we have him and then we have Meacham and all these guys that are supposed to have all these ties down there. We haven't really been able to fill out our classes for high school Texas players. So, um, but, you know, I mean, if that's the only thing the guy really has going for him, what he's really known for coming in, then you have to think a guy like Doran um, or like Houston nut was potentially available then. Um, you know, I mean, there's a bunch of other guys, even Ed Warner who was involved in, um, you know the successful Kansas program was a was a coordinator at the time. It seemed like a logical step to bring a guy like that in. Um, you know, you would just have to think that guys with a better pedigree probably would have should have been higher on the list. It really does make you wonder what was going on there. So
0: I think uh, was it Doran still at Northern Illinois at least for Charlie Wise? He was still at Northern Illinois. And then another name that you guys haven't talked about yet is Scott Frost was the offensive coordinator at Nebraska, uh, at uh, Oregon and he was mentioned in you know coaching search articles but I don't I don't know that they ever called him or anything but uh you know again looking back in hindsight Scott Frost would have left this program in better shape after three years than it's been now yeah he probably still goes to Nebraska next, you know this off season but we're in a lot better shape than we were at least, or are definitely
1: yeah, so Doran went to uh, NC State into for the 2013 season. Um, so I believe he actually let's see. Yeah, he would have he would have just gotten the NC State job uh, with with Charlie Weiss. So I'm guessing what probably happened is NC State picked him up um, the same time that we picked up Weiss. Um, so he had he, you know, he was eight and five at NC state and maybe, maybe he wasn't interested in the Kansas job at that point anymore. Cause he started to establish himself at NC state, but um, you know, so m- maybe we did kind of miss out on that, but I-, I have to think if we really wanted him, we could have made him a good offer and at least, you know, taken a shot at it. But I didn't hear any kind of inkling that he was, that he was going at, you know, he was someone we were seeking to get or anything like that. So um, yeah.
4: Right. And I, I agree. Like he, he wasn't, you know, considered very much before, you know, during Beatty. Um, and he probably wouldn't have taken the job just because he was passed up before, um, you know, when they hired Weiss over him. Um, but, you know, he's a Kansas guy, so you just never know. The right money could have opened his eye you know, maybe it could have, you know, opened his ears a little bit and he would have listened, but who knows?
1: Yeah. I mean, if if we're going back to talk about, you know, when the, when the wife hire happened, um, you know, (laughs) it was only his second year and he took Northern Illinois, like his second head head coaching year overall. And he took Northern Illinois to the orange bowl. Um, you know, in his second year was undefeated in conference was 12 and one going into the bowl season, you know? So, I mean, if you're going to take an up and coming coach, you know, a guy that you hopefully will grow into the position and potentially get you back and stick around for a while. I mean, that's like the perfect time to jump in on a guy like that, who, you know, in the first two years that he is a head coach at a program, he's 11-3 and in one year with a win in a a bowl game, and then 12-2 and in the next year losing in a BCS bowl game. I mean, that that would have been the perfect time to get in there um, and kind of jump in instead of taking Weiss. But obviously, you know hindsight again being twenty twenty there so all right um any other thoughts about um you know bizarro land It's um, al- alternative david Beatty hires <laughs> I, I don't have any yeah all right so let's let's go ahead and jump on to our our next topic here um talking about uh you know obviously the the college or the k u uh, quarterback situation I think the best way to describe it since Todd Riesing was here is, you know, it's been cursed. I mean, I, I'm having a hard time thinking of any uh, KU quarterback that's been decent even since Riesing left. So, um, first of all, you know, how important is it to have the quarterback? I mean, I think we all agree that it's pretty important, but especially for this KU team, how important has the quarterback position been for this team? Um, and do you think the the lack of a quarterback has kind of, led to the decline of the program or is there enough other things that have taken promising quarterbacks and made them not successful? I mean, I think,
3: I think if you look, look back since, since Reesing's been here, you see how important the quarterback position is. Uh, Reesing has for single, single season records. He has, at KU that is, he has the top three, um, before that, uh, before him, I mean, you go all the way back to 1985 or 1983. So you see how, how good it is, uh, you know, how important that quarterback position is. Do, it it doesn't necessarily mean that that is why KU football has been bad. Uh, but it's, it's clearly shown that, that it has, it has a big thing. we we were good in 2007, 2008, and 2009 um or at least decent. Uh, competitive in in all three of those years uh as winning in the Orange Bowl in one of them, but he somebody that a quarterback that held held a a school record for all three of those years and then you have to go all the back all the way back to 1983 to even find find the next person in in, in fourth for the single season uh, yeah, yards, it's it's pretty crazy to to think that the quarterback position isn't isn't one maybe one number one or two of the most important parts of 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 a, of a football team.
4: Yeah, I and I so. and I would agree with that too. And I mean, if you look at you know Todd Reese, he, and he three years in a row. He threw for thirty four hundred yards, over thirty four hundred, one year almost making it to four thousand yards, um, in two thousand
3: eight. Um you here you know, go. Then, hey, hey fitz I got I have the stats right here for you. Two thousand and eight yeah. Todd Reesing threw uh three thousand eight hundred and eighty eight yards. Uh and then his lowest year that he's he that he played all year, which was two thousand seven, uh, was three thousand four hundred and eighty
4: six yards. Yeah, that's that's insane. And I think that, you know, it, since then, we haven't had a quarterback pass for 2,000 yards, you know. I mean, the closest we had was Jordan Webb in 2011, um, you know. So, it he, he could be argued that maybe he was the last quarterback that was decent. I don't know if he was actually even decent. Um, you know, but since then, it's, you know, it's been a lot of, you know, a lot of transfers, you know, Dane Christ, Jay Keats, um you know Peyton Bender, you know Ryan Willis, and Montel Kozart. They, um, you know, they came in as freshmen, uh, but again, they just weren't good. You know, or at least you know Ryan Willis, I uh, just didn't. Ha- it wasn't the right offense for him. Um, but yeah, I'd say it's quarterbacks been huge. Offensive line has been huge as well. Um, you know, it doesn't help the fact that you know if we maybe had a you know maybe one of these quarterbacks had a, a solid offensive line, they could have done more. But at the same time, um, I think, you know, quarterbacks definitely more important.
1: Yeah, I don't think we've had what I would consider to be a, um, you know, even decent quarterback on the roster since reasoning. I mean, you know, Montel Cozart, Michael Cummings, Dean Christ, who was supposed to be a really good quarterback, but we never really seemed to be able to do anything with him. Um, You know, just Webb like you guys have already talked about. Um, I mean, I I, I'm having a hard time finding a quarterback in that list who was undeniably a good quarterback. Um, even a, even a good quarterback, like all these guys are supposedly have had the tools, but haven't been able to do anything. I think you can make the argument that a lot of that has to do with the offensive line. Um, we have not had an offensive line even close to that 2007 offensive line in a very long time. Um, I mean I don't think we've even had one that's come close since then. So um that was kind of one of the the um unheralded, you know, strengths of that of that often or of that 2017 team was they had an offensive line that was just a beast. And sure the quarterbacks haven't really had that benefit. Um but they also haven't been able to find a way, you know, we we see all the time a bunch of other teams that ha- either have a system in place or a quarterback that's smart enough to get the ball out quickly um, when they have problems with their offensive line. It's not like no one else ever has offensive line troubles, and you know every time there's an offensive line problem, uh, the quarterback is is just abysmal. You know, like we see plenty of indications around college football that you can have a a middling or even sometimes bad offensive line and still be a decent offensive team um, if you have the right quarterback that can make quick reads, that can get the ball out quickly. Which, by the way, is one of the things that the air raid is supposed to be able to do. It's supposed to be able to get you moving quickly, um, and kind of moving on there. So, um, yeah, I just, I haven't seen anything from there, from our, our quarterback. So obviously it's very, very important. So, so I, that leads us into in, in the next part of the question is, why has KU been so bad at recruiting, identifying, and then improving quarterback play in the years since racing? Um, you guys can, you know, touch on all three of them or just one of them if you want. But, like, what what do you think has been the issue?
4: Uh, honestly, I mean, I, I, get, I think it goes to the coaching. Um, and, you know, what? I will put a lot of blame on the offensive line. I think, uh, you know, if I'm a coach, um, you know, coming into a program, the first thing I'm going to address uh, and to make sure it's solid is my offensive line and defensive line. You know, and obviously a quarterback, like I said, is definitely very important. But if you don't have an offensive line, you can turn a great quarterback into, you know, a bad quarterback.
0: So- let, let me interrupt you guys real quick. Um, I just – I I take a little bit of, of umbrage, I guess, with the question because I don't think recruiting or identifying the talent has been the problem. Uh, you know, Montel Cozart went to Boise State and won a bunch of games last year, and Ryan Willis looks to be the starter at Virginia Tech this year. So I don't think getting guys in has been the problem. I think the problem has been the coaching once they got here. And uh, as you were just talking about there and related to the last uh, discussion question, um, uh, a good quarterback, a really good quarterback like Todd Reesing, can cover up a lot of faults on an offensive line too because, I mean, Todd Reesing wasn't scrambling around because he was running – you know, spread option plays. He was scrambling around because he was under pressure, but he was really <laughs> good at getting away from it and making a play. And uh, you know, guys like guys like Peyton Bender don't have that ability. So uh, I, I just wanted to interject that real quick and and let you guys banner that around a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a fair statement. I mean, I do think if you if you're if you're looking at those three, I think the biggest problem has been improving the quarterback play or the coaches actually utilizing guys. Um, you know, we, we definitely have seen some guys that have tools that have come in. Um, but we've seen, you know, we've seen plenty of instances too. I mean, I I think you could, could go with the identifying as being a real issue. I mean, how many times have we had, um, real, really, supposedly really intense quarterback competitions, um, you know this 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 coaching staff, especially Beatty's coaching staff, seems to have a problem of picking a quarterback at the beginning of the year that they want to be their starting quarterback. the 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 competitions run until until already into the first week of the season, sometimes even longer. Um, we've had way too much turnover at the quarterback position, and a lot of that I think has just been that they refuse they either refuse to identify a, a starting quarterback or they just have a hard time deciding who is the guy that they want to get behind.
3: Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I agree. I agree with that. I think recently uh, it, it might not necessarily, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with developing a quarterback, but, but a lot of it doesn't have to do with recruiting of the quarterback. I think that Peyton Bender could probably be good, but his, his own coaching staff doesn't put confidence in him. They don't, you know, and, and I, and I'm not, I'm not one that wants Peyton Bender to be, actually be the starting qu- quarterback this year, but I'm just using him as the example that we, you know, we, we can't go into uh, the first game of the season and not have a quarterback. I, I feel like, I, I mean, I played sports my whole life. I think I, I'm, I'm guessing, I know Fitz did. I, you know, I don't know if you guys played, played sports your whole life, but even if you go uh, to your work life, um, if somebody doesn't give you confidence and and and, and trust you making a, a decision uh you don't feel as good about it and you uh, probably question yourself the entire time and you probably don't go into it uh, preparing yourself as well either uh you know if somebody might or might not give you the job you're probably not going to uh, you're probably not going to try as hard uh, sometimes you maybe not maybe not try as hard maybe not prepare as hard uh, on that on that side of it but um even though they say that we they all prepare the same if he named somebody the starting quarterback two two weeks before the season maybe it would make a difference maybe um maybe that that person might end up stepping forward a little bit further and, and really really putting themselves out there a little bit more than what what they would if we didn't he didn't go into this it's you know competitive advantage that Beatty always goes into on not naming a quarterback until he throws one out there uh on the first snap. So so there's there's a few things there, but I I, I think that some of it has to do with Beatty just not naming a quarterback and, and not having confidence in a person to to run his team because like we said in the last part of it there the quarterback is one of the most important decisions or the not decisions I'm sorry the uh most important uh positions on a football team and uh, if you don't if you don't make that position a priority then i it, your your football team is going to do do what ours our, ours has done since uh, 2010
1: yeah, I mean, and to kind of go along with that, you know, there's a big difference in how you're performing in practice, what you're absorbing when you are trying to compete for a head position or once you've secured your position and, you know, going to fulfill and prepare for that. So, so you know, if, if you have two guys that are locked in a QB competition, essentially their biggest, you know, their biggest concern is I can't screw up and lose a position that way. Like that's typically what they try to do. They go into preservation mode. Uh, Whereas once a guy has officially won the job, you know, the thought is, okay, how can I maximize this? How can I get the biggest effect out of this? They're not going to take as many chances. They're not going to work on developing certain skills until they know whether they are doing that as the starter or they're doing that as the backup. You know, the backup can be a little bit freer in that whatever he does isn't going to lose him the position. But even the starter can be a little bit freer because he said, I've secured my position. You know, now I can try to work on things. I can try to improve things. I'm free to make a few mistakes as long as I learn from them. Uh, Whereas if you're in a competition for who's actually going to get that starting job, any mistake that you make is probably going to lose you that starting job unless the other guy's making just as many. So you go into preservation mode where you, instead of, you know, trying to improve, trying to get better, you're just trying not to screw it up. Um, And so that's a completely different practice mode. That's a completely different learning mode. Um, and, you know, it causes all kinds of confusion. There was a few guys that we were talking with, um, nobody willing to talk on the record, um, but have been talking about, you know, the, locker, the way the locker room was is that nobody actually knew who was going to be starting. And so it was really hard to kind of develop the rapport you need on the offensive line um, because different quarterbacks play different ways behind the same offensive line. It really messes with the entire chemistry of the entire offense. Um, receivers have to work out timing with who they're going to be taking passes from. You know, there's a lot of stuff that can't actually happen the way it needs to happen until you know who the starting guy is and who you're going to be getting those passes from or who's going to be running that most of the time. So it's very important to identify a guy, to let him start to settle in, to start developing that rapport, you know, to really start taking over the team and, and running the offense. And that can't happen until you make a decision on who who the starting quarterback is going to be.
3: Yeah, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. We, we, I think that one of our, one of our biggest downfalls, uh, the last couple of years, and, and it really obviously was the, you know, even before Beatty, uh, but Beatty's really, really stepped it up even, uh, farther than, than, than the past, but we, you can't, you can't play four quarterbacks in a year or like last year, you can't, uh, platoon Two quarterbacks. I mean, people need a, people need a leader. If if you're in sports, you need a leader. I, like I said, I played sports my whole life. If you to be a good team, you have to have somebody that you look look towards or look up to other than uh, other than your coach. Your coach isn't always going to be there, but that leader is always going to be there. You can't have two people uh, that that is supposed to be your leader. It just it really doesn't work in sports and. Uh, there's probably a lot of people that disagree, but a lot of those people are probably people that didn't play a lot of sports uh, through their lives.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are a few exceptions. For example, Frank Frank Beamer um, at Virginia Tech, he has been very successful running multiple quarterback systems. But that's a system he's had in place for a long, long time. I, I think that's more of the exception that kind of proves the rule. It takes a very special program that's been set up long term to be able to run more than one quarterback, and even then they've run into some issues of telegraphing like what they're going to be doing when they're using more than one quarterback and things like that. But I mean, it, it is possible, but it's really hard for it to be successful. So yeah, I, I would, I would agree that typically you've got to have that guy that lends his identity to the team and helps kind of steer the direction.
3: Right. And, and you see that, uh, and you see it on defense as well. Um, when you see, I mean, one of the most, most important uh Positions on defense is going to be your linebackers because those are your linebackers. your linebackers are, are 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 kind of your quarterback on your defense. But in your linebacking core, you've got you've got that one player or sorry you have that one player that that calls those plays and that 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 directs everyone. You don't have all three of your linebackers calling calling your plays. You have one person uh, that that calls those plays that that tells which side, what shift uh the, the linemen go to, what shift the the linebackers go to. Uh, and, but it's always really kind of that one person or that one that one player that 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 calls it. And like uh Danine, he's the he's the one that really took part in that. And he really he he really did it and that's why he, he saw improvement through the through the year that, you know, with him being able to people look up to him. Uh You know, they, they look up to, to what he did and what he does. But if you go back and forth, the quarterback, you don't, you don't know that put that, that quarterback doesn't know if he should, if he, if he should say it, or maybe the other quarterback should say it. it it's, you can't go back and forth. And, and, and that's one thing that aggravated me so much uh, about, about this back and forth with Bender and uh, Stanley and, uh Kozart and um uh, uh Ryan and I mean it's just it just that that's one thing that's really just really got under my skin. If you follow my follow my Twitter you've probably seen me say it several times. It just that that really aggravates me.
1: Yeah. Alright any other so last kind of bit here. Um you know we've we've been doing a lot of transfer quarterbacks. Um, do you think that that's something that we can find long-term success by, you know, looking for our our next quarterback to kind of jumpstart this in the, in the transfer um, setting there, or is it going to take us getting a guy in a, a freshman, um, you know, getting him in and kind of developing him and then, and then handing the reins over to him. Anyone have any uh, specific thoughts about that?
4: Yeah, I think we, you know, I think we should get away from, the transfer option. I mean, it, it we really haven't had, you know, any luck. Um I mean, look at Dane Chris, Jake Beats, now Peyton Bender. Unless he, you know, does something fantastic this year, um, you know, and I think it always means more to a program when you have a quarterback come in as a freshman, um, you know, you can you know, get him to you know have him watch game film understand the offense his freshman year maybe even sophomore year if you got a quarterback ahead of him um you know and just just kind of cycle that through you know and get those young guys get them to where by their second third year they're understanding the offense you know and they're able to come in and you're not you don't have to worry about that part of it you know and and i kind of worry about a lot of these transfer guys coming in they're expected to play right away Granted they may have played a similar offense, but they don't know how, you know, this coach runs it. You know, they don't understand his, you know, his ticks or, you know, all the nuances and stuff. So, um, I think we really do got to get away from that, uh, the transfer quarterbacks. And again, like what Mike said earlier, it does go back to the, the ability for the coach to develop the players. Can we really even trust, you know, baiting his staff to to even develop a quarterback at you know, if they brought in a freshman quarterback. So who knows.
1: Yeah. Any other final thoughts on that guys? Anyone else want to jump in about transfer quarterbacks? No, no I, I mean I I, I I
3: think that maybe if if the quarterback was the right person, maybe, uh maybe while we had a freshman quarterback that was the, that maybe was a freshman that we would be okay with um, that, that we felt like even that his freshman year could move up and start his sophomore year, maybe, but it hasn't worked for us. So if it hasn't worked this for this many years, then it, it it turns me off to, to go for anymore. Uh, kind of like Fitz said, it hasn't worked. So if it hasn't worked, then I don't want to keep doing it. So that's Oh, yeah, that's that's my that's kind of my opinion on it too. Yeah.
1: All right, Mike. Mike, any any quick thoughts before we move on?
0: Uh, the only thought I had while listening to you guys talk there was um, when you were talking about, uh, I guess, new players. You know, bringing in more transfers or whatever. Uh, the only thought I had was the only recruit we have so far for next year's class that's verbally committed is a is a four star quarterback um now i don't know i mean i a lot of things have to go right for him to stick with that commitment i mean we saw that last year with the um the all the kids that decommitted and and went to mississippi state or lsu or wherever they went um but lance legender uh out of louisiana shocker uh was a four-star quarterback a top 10 quarterback uh in next year's class and uh i don't know that you would want him to start as a true freshman um, uh, I think I would rather see like a senior first Stanley or um you know a uh Miles Kendrick if he managed to get some playing time this year maybe maybe have one of those two guys start for a year and then maybe you start uh looking at Legender once he's a sophomore or whatever you redshirt him or something uh but uh, uh I I definitely am getting tired of D1 transfers um and the few JUCO quarterbacks we've had, some have worked out, some have been great. Bill Whittemore comes to mind, but some have been pretty, most of them have been pretty marginal to awful. So, you know, Quinn Meacham was one, I think. And, um, I can't really think of any others off the top. We, we don't get a lot of JUCO quarterbacks, but, uh, but yeah, I'm done with the transfers and, uh, you know, if they can get this with gender kids to stick around then. Uh, maybe we'll have something there because you know he is a highly regarded recruit. But uh, uh, I still think that you know next year, if he sticks to his commitment, you still want you still want an upperclassman in in Stanley or Kendrick, and then maybe you turn it over to the younger kid uh, for his second year. But uh, that's really all I had.
1: I mean, if he's as good as they're as they're saying that he is, you know, being a top ten QB in the class, I think I think he at least gets a legitimate shot to win the starting job. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually won it. You know. Um, And I I wouldn't be upset if that had 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 actually, you know, if that's the way it actually goes. Um, But you're right. I mean, you definitely want to have a veteran guy that is there to kind of step in if needed um, is there to really, you know, push him. You don't want to just have him come in and hand him the job um, unless he's just clearly that much better than any of the guys we have on the roster, which is more, I think of an indictment of the actual roster and and the, the coaching staff now than it would be of, you know, him actually coming in. So Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. Ideally you want even your, your best recruits to be pushed when they come in to not just be handed a starting rule because everybody else is that bad. So, all right. So, um, we'll, we'll go ahead and move on from there. We only have a couple quick more points to hit, um, before we wrap up for the evening. So, um, right after we got done recording the last episode, um, I actually was, was talking with you guys. You mentioned something about, um, Stephen Sims and he had he had gone on the radio with Aaron Lawrence um had some some interesting facts to talk about but I'll kind of um I think this kind of ties in with my next question essentially was uh you know what kind of positive developments or positive improvement from specific players or or things like that um has happened over the summer that gives you guys any kind of optimism for this team in 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 the coming year
3: Well uh on the on the Stephen Sims thing. Uh, Like you said, he was, I I had heard him on the radio and uh, he was, he was talking about his mother uh, keeps, keeps all the stats for him. He, he doesn't really do it, but she makes sure that, that he, that he knows. Uh, But there, there's a couple of records that, that he, there's a, there's a good possibility if, if we can get, get that O-line going, you know, we, we get that O-line going and we, and we can, we can really settle down on a quarterback. I think that he could—he he really could—could could break. Um, I think the touchdown one might be a, l- a little tough. Uh, it would be great to see him break the t- the touchdown, but—but but who knows at this point. Um, but on the—he's uh, only 65 receptions off of breaking. Uh, I believe it is. Let me look again. Myers. Sorry, uh, yeah, Kerry Myers. Yeah. Uh, he, yep. Yeah, he, from breaking his record, he's only 65 off of that, which is very possible. He had 59 receptions last year. Uh, 2016, he had 72. So, I mean, really, he, he just kind of has to go, go in between there. And, and he, he breaks, he breaks the all time KE record for receptions. Um, and and if we really settle down on the quarterback i really i really think that that it could really help him there plus uh the uh the yards uh, career yards uh, reception yards which he needs still needs uh, one thousand one hundred and ninety three yards to to break that which is going to be tough uh the most he's had so far in his career is eight hundred and fifty nine uh which was in which was back in uh two thousand sixteen but it it's possible. I mean, we could have it. if we really settle down and we really on a quarterback and 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 our offensive line can can help a little bit. I I don't see why we can't. I don't see why we can't have him. He he couldn't break that. Uh, I I think he's going to be obviously our best receiver, just like he has been the the I think the last two years. Last year, obviously, and I believe he was. Uh, I believe he was actually ahead of. Uh, Quiv on in 2016, if I remember correctly, uh because he, he did have a little bit more yards in 16 than he did in 17, not much, but a little bit. Uh, but he could definitely, he could definitely do that. If, if he can get open, we give him a, 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 a get our quarterback. Hopefully that we can stick to get our quarterback a little extra time. And, and he could definitely break that. And then, uh like i said the the touchdowns is probably going to be the hardest thing that that he has to break which is uh he needs 16 more touchdowns to to break the uh, career record of of touchdowns uh, for for a receiver uh which is which is uh i believe uh, Briscoe uh Desmond Briscoe he he definitely needs he needs a lot to do that but he does he only needs he only needs three to break Terry Myers' record to move into, to, to second. So th- there's no doubt that he's going to move into, into second, uh, for, for touchdowns. And, but, it, it, you know, who knows what, what really happens, ends up happening this year. I, I hope that he can get, he can get double digit touchdowns and I, I definitely think he can. Uh, but it's, uh, uh, that, that's definitely a positive note. Uh, for, for a receiver this year.
1: Yeah. Just, just to put that in perspective, Steven Sims Jr. has 15, Desmond Briscoe has 31. So he would have to score more touchdowns this year than he has in his entire career so far to be able to beat that record. Um, but, but as, as you were saying, Kerry Myers is in second and he only has 18 receiving touchdowns for his career. So, um, does Desmond Briscoe was just, absolutely ridiculous when he was getting all of those those touchdowns back in 2008 so um yeah so well i mean yeah so in 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 2008 he had 15 in 2009 he had nine so doesn't briscoe has two of the top three single season um performances in terms of receiving touchdowns so um yeah i don't think it's likely that you know sims unless unless the offense just goes absolutely ballistic I don't see it, it being likely that Steven Sims could get all the way up to the number one spot, but two is definitely manageable for that one. So, so yeah, I mean, Steven Sims, if he has the kind of year that he had last year in 2016 could, could easily get himself up in the top few spots in all of the receiving categories um, making, you know, the the case that he's one of the best receivers in at least in recent history um, for, for the Jayhawks, which is saying something when we've had the quarterback situation that we've had. So. Alright, any other uh any kind of positive developments and I'll I'll kind of ex- expand the question just a little bit and make this the last thing we're talking about. Either positive developments that you've seen over the summer or guys that you think are gonna be like breakout players this year for the for the Jayhawks. So let's let's go ahead and start with uh with Fitz.
4: Um, you know I know he he didn't really show much or anything at all last year, um, but I'm still not going to give up on the guy um Dalen Charlotte I think could really make some noise um there's no doubt he's talented you know the guy has talent I think uh you know last year he just he had an injury kind of a nagging injury um missed a lot of practice wasn't quite picking up the offense um quite as good as I think what they had ex- you know expected him to do um you know but I think now and obviously moving to defensive back probably kinda hurt him too. Um, you know, but he's now back at his natural position. The guy's fast. You know, he showed in the spring game. Um when he was, you know, last year that uh, you know, he is capable of making plays. You know, I honestly think he could he could step up. I'm not saying have a, a huge season, but for him, I think it could be considered a, a breakout. Uh, season, I could see him getting over 500 yards receiving if our offense can, you know, can gel and, and get some
1: things moving. So <laughs> I, I just I'm I'm only laughing because I remember having this exact same conversation about uh, about him last year with Mike. <laughs> um, you know, we were thinking. I think one one of the prop bets that we had talked about was in terms of the number of receivers that go over 800 yards, and our thought was. Charlotte and then uh Sims and I think there was one other we were talking about. Like all these guys could potentially go off, you know, when we were all drinking the Kool-Aid. So um I mean yeah, I I definitely agree that he has the potential there, assuming that he can actually get utilized the way he's supposed to. So um And I also another
4: guy I want to throw out there, this is probably kind of a less people that probably aren't even gonna think about is is James Sosinski Um he could I don't know about breakout, but I think he could be a big surprise.
1: Yeah. I think I can agree yeah. with that one as well, so all right, Ryan, what about you
3: uh, uh i d like like i said i don't I don't think he's really going to be a breakout because he's already broke out, but um uh, if if we can if, as long as we can really hold down on that quarterback spot, uh I really think Steven Sims is actually going to do better this year than what he did last year. Uh, if, if we can, if we can stick to that starting quarterback, we can, uh, they can, they can gel, uh, they can keep gelling. Uh, I, I think in 2016, he had, he had more yards than 17. Uh, but, but I think this year, I really do feel like he could probably have, uh, maybe even, I, I, I think that he could get 10 touchdowns. It's not going to break his, break this, uh, career record. Uh, I think he's going to, uh, it could, could make, more than the 65 receptions. Uh, that the yards are going to be tough as well, but I, I believe that that he's uh, going to be even better uh than last year.
0: Um, who's going to break out? Um I'm going to cheat and I'm going to say uh Joe DeVine because <laughs> he's going to be on the he's going to be on the field 75% of the time and he seems like he's the only guy on defense who can tackle anybody. So um, welcome to the first team all American team,
3: Joe Denine. Mike, do you think he's gonna he's gonna break any records this year for our defense? Um, well,
0: I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Willie Pless is the school record holder, but that's an unofficial record, and nobody's ever getting that. I don't know if you guys know anything about Willie Pless or not, but dude had like 700 tackles in four years or something stupid. So, um i mean 600, nobody's get-
3: 633 i just looked
0: it yeah <laughs> yeah no nobody's getting to that but uh uh not even joe Denine on you know who's going to be on the field 75 percent of the game uh 75 of the season but uh uh yeah i don't know that he'll break any records but uh, i think he'll be one of the nation's leading tacklers and i think he'll get a uh fifth sixth seventh round draft flyer and in the nfl draft and uh uh, yeah, I just think he's got a, a nose for the ball and and that uh, he'll be the one player on our team that people talk about, other than maybe Daniel Wise. Um, if Daniel Wise can figure out, you know, take up some of those. Well, and even if Daniel Wise gets double teamed a lot or triple teamed, that's going to free up Joe Dean to make even more plays. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, a, you know, it's kind of a choose-your-own-poison there. Uh, I do think the secondary will be a little bit improved. Uh, with uh, Mike Lee coming back and Corion Harris better be starting. Um, uh, I, I think there's some talent back there, and and those Juco guys have been around for a year now and, and, uh, should be a little bit more adjusted to the D1 game. So I, I think the defense should improve, but, you know, I thought that last year too, so, and, and we had one of the worst defenses I've ever seen. Uh, but, but we're trying to be positive, so I do think the defense will improve. I think that, uh, uh Joe Dean will be all Big 12 all maybe even all American with his production and uh and uh who knows maybe maybe he'll get a couple of interceptions this year and and win a couple of games for us
3: and and you 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 on the secondary there uh and and I kind of Fitz and I've talked about it a couple of times here and and I, and I forgot about it a, a little bit uh and, and Mike Lee I definitely, it's not a breakout, it wouldn't be a breakout year for him because his freshman year was, I mean, he just hit people so hard that, uh, you know, that's hard, he hit people as hard as we've ever seen anybody hit anybody, uh, last year, but he, he, he couldn't really do that. I, I think with that improved secondary with Corian, uh, in there, I, I definitely think that Mike Lee would probably go back to being able to Really, cut loose a little bit more. Uh, I think losing fish after his his freshman year really really hurt him, and he had to he had to kind of step up and be be fish a little bit. He he wasn't, but he he did a he had a good I mean a decent year. But I think that this year with having some some backup in there, I, I definitely think that that's going to help him really get back to more of his freshman form than than his sophomore form.
1: Well, and to be honest, Mike Lee, his his stats weren't really that much different his sophomore year from his freshman year. He just he came up huge in that Texas game and so a lot of people think that his his first year overall was a lot better. Um now granted I don't think he he didn't play in as many games I don't think. Uh, well no actually he ended up he ended up playing in the same number of games because he was uh you know, he was sat for for a couple games last year for whatever weird reason. Um yeah, I mean, overall he, he had a small drop in the stats, but not much. Um so I think a lot of that is just kind of perception. Um but in in, in terms of the the player that I think is going to break out this year and part of this may be hampered a little bit by the depending on how well his his uh his uh, teammate in the same position does it as well, but I'm thinking Khalil Herbert. Um you know, he had that huge game against West Virginia last year. Um you know and and we thought that he was going to be able to turn that into being the lead guy and and doing really well from that point on, but he he kind of got injured after that game. Um, actually, I think he got injured at the end of the West Virginia game if I don't if if I remember that correctly, after he already had like two hundred and ninety something yards, um he ended up getting injured, didn't play in the Iowa State game, played very sparingly in the TCU game and then was never really quite the same guy the rest of the year. I think this year he's going to come back healthy. He's going to, he's going to really run over people again. I kind of see him having the same sort of um, skills that we saw from guys like, um, you know, James Sims and and things like that. John Cornish having the ability to really create his own runs. Um, I don't know if he's going to have quite the same success as those guys over the long, the the long run, but um, you know, that 291 yards he had at West Virginia ranks number three all time for single game rushing amounts. Um, You know, he's, He's definitely set himself up to be, and, and he's only a sophomore, uh, he's, he set himself up to be kind of a, a, another one of the Kansas running stars that we've had um, inexplicably, I think, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I, I do see him having a big breakout year. The only thing I think that would derail that is if Taylor Martin in his senior year um, gets hot and takes some of that time away from him. But with the offensive line we have, I don't, I don't know that we're going to have two guys that are going to be really pushing for that. I think it's going to be an either or, and I think Herbert's probably the most likely candidate there for a, a breakout from the running back position. So, all right. Um, any, any other final thoughts about that guys?
3: Thank you. I said, said everything I, uh, all right. I, I would have thought of.
1: All right. Perfect. So we'll go ahead and leave it there then. Um, guys, thank, thank you again for joining me. Um, for those of you guys listening, uh, just, just as a reminder, um, Ryan and then, and then Fitz are joining us there. They are at the site, um, hawkjocks.com. Um, you know, it's a, it's a fairly new site covering KU football, but again, we love having new voices to talk about KU football, especially since there's so many people that just don't really want to talk about it. So it, it was great. It was great having you guys. Um, can you go ahead and remind the people where they, where they can find you guys on, on Twitter and online?
3: uh yeah uh once again you can find us on hawkjock.com. uh i i'm on twitter at hawkjock underscore k u uh, on facebook uh at, at hawkjock. uh and um like like i told you uh, in july uh please please go to the website uh subscribe so that you're able to to have conversations uh on the site you're able to to comment on the post maybe even if you aren't on on twitter at too much, uh you can at least have conversations on and comment on on the posts themselves on, on the website.
1: Awesome. And then Fitz where where can they find you?
4: Yeah, so uh I'm on uh Twitter. You can find me at FitzDaddy85 and uh I'm the Fitz on uh on Twitter. Um I don't have a Facebook or anything but again, yeah you go to our website um you can add me on Twitter on there as well. Again, hawkjock.com,
1: dot com, h a w k j o c k. com. Awesome, and of course, us um, here at, here at Rock Talk Talk, you can find us on Twitter at Rock Chalk Talk Talk, um, on Facebook, uh, Facebook. dot slash Rock Talk um, You can contact both me and Mike personally on on Twitter or through the site. Uh, our email is rctsbn at gmail.com. That's Rock Nation at gmail.com. Um, you know, we, we definitely want to hear from you guys if you have any suggestions for the podcast anything you want us to talk about any questions that you have for us we would love to hear that from you guys um, You know, it was, it was it was great working with these guys from Hawk Jock I'm, I'm sure that we're going to uh, collaborate with them in, in in the future I'm already eyeing the bye week as a, a perfect time to catch up with them and get some, self, some self-scouting so um, definitely take a look at, at the stuff that they have over there again it's great to have another boy talking about KU football and um, it's been it's been great talking talking with you guys. Thanks again for joining me, and thank you guys for for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Talk podcast.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.
2: With the lucky slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.